Well, for what sex and sex education could and should be, I think first of a line from a Dorothy Sayers novel, the only sin passion can commit is to be joyless. Well, we are supposed to be in the sin business here. <laughs> Although as a, as a denomination, we're most comfortable more talking about karma. I like the joke in there. Did anybody get the karma joke? Bad karma. Oh, listen, I didn't write it. So, um, but here we are. Uh, a congregation, a denomination that has given a lot of attention, a lot of resources to sex education. In other words, to sex and sexuality. If you don't know, our program for sex education, which was developed together with the uh, United Church of Christ, and they have a slightly different version um, from ours as well. There are secular versions that can be used in schools. Um, it's called Our Whole Lives. And I think of two primary meanings when I, when I think of why, why did they call it that. One is that sexuality education um, and sex belongs in every stage of life. We are sensual beings from the time we're born, and although, of course, our sense of ourselves as sexual doesn't, come along, don't, doesn't really blossom until um, adolescence, generally speaking, um, it's, it's never too early to start learning about these things. And so our K through two class, which we offer every couple of years here, um, might be summarized as focused on the parts of your body, um, where babies come from, and affirming that no one should touch us in ways that we don't want. I learned another lesson um, indirectly from what my daughter was learning when she was in that class um, because uh, we have a cat and I'm more fond of picking up the cat than the cat is of being picked up. <laughs> so I think Indigo was five or six when I picked up the cat one day and she was squirming to get down but I was like, oh, but you're so soft and Indigo said, mama, consent, put her down. <laughs> You know, and it was such a lesson, as was the, 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 the phrase that almost came to my mind. I wanted to say, oh, but, but, you know, but she's so soft, as if that's a reason to do what you want to do with somebody else's body. She was right, Al had taught her well, and I put the cat down, at least while Indigo was looking. <laughs> and secondly, I think it's called Our Whole Lives because we want to communicate that our sexuality is interwoven into our whole being. It is part of being whole. Now, some people are, are very asexual. For them, sex is not a very active part of their lives. But just to acknowledge that it's not like it's off in one little corner, hidden away in the dark. It's part of our wholeness. Our body, mind, spirit, emotions, everything, all one, all precious, and all sacred which is why we deal with it all here in our congregation. Now, my own sex education um, was not too bad, better than Stephen's, I would say, um, in that we were all in one room. Um, after all, the hope is that young men and young women and people of other genders will be able to talk about sex with one another eventually. So it's good to get over the discomfort early, at least somewhat. Uh, they taught us the actual facts, which is not something we can take for granted nowadays. And they taught us how to prevent sexually transmitted diseases and pregnancy 
in all the ways that were then known, not just abstinence. I don't need to go into the stats about the failure of abstinence-only education to keep people safe from both of those risks. But on the other hand, my sex ed class was part of what we called health, and it was very much about health, as in how to prevent bad things from happening. You would have thought, listening to my, in on our sex ed classes, that sex was basically this extremely dangerous gauntlet you had to run with, with um, herpes, gonorrhea, unwanted pregnancy, and eventually, midway through my high school years, HIV being thrown at you as you ran. I'm glad they taught us how to avoid illness and unwanted pregnancies, but there was something really important missing. And that was that sex is something people do because they enjoy it. That's supposed to be the idea. Most of the time, they're doing their level best not to get sick, not to get, make any new human beings. And so it's really weird to teach about sex as if that's the only reason that people do it, is to make other people. There are deeply meaningful, rational, re relational, and spiritual aspects of sexuality, not so much the rational. Um, and our whole lives addresses these. In fact, it's in process. Um, when my daughter was about 10 years ago now was in um, K through two curriculum, and I see some other parents here whose kids were in, the, in that class. Um, the parents uh, together raised a question. They said, this is a pretty good program. We like it. It's not like we um, don't like the attitude it's taking, except, um, you know, it's really talking about sex. It's like, this is something people do when they want to make babies, and that they need to know the connection between those two things. But, can we plant early on the idea that that's not actually the main reason that people have sexual relations? In fact, again, they're mostly trying to avoid that through most of our sexual encounters. Now, um, little kids will not believe you when they say, when you tell them that this is something people do because it's fun. They think it's disgusting. And that's developmentally appropriate. I mean, do you remember when you first heard about French kissing? Who thinks that's a good idea? That's disgusting. But that's fine. They will, we are trying to plant the idea that, you know, this is not just about reproduction. Um, and you can keep asking us about it, and they will. They will ask over and over as new thoughts come to them and new developmental stages come along. That's as it should be. We want this to be a place where they can ask those questions and where they'll have further OWL classes for four through six, and then seven through nine, and high school, and right on up to older adults. We call it sex education, sexuality education, but the learning that affects our whole lives goes far beyond a receipt of information and advice. The most important messages are part of what is called sexual socialization, what we learn about our emotions, our bodies, our relationships, and about morality. And these messages aren't explicitly or only about sex. They are in a parent's attitude toward nudity. Uh, is it shameful or funny or matter of fact or private? They, um, these attitudes are conveyed to children when a toddler casually touches their own genitals and 
does their parent or the uh, teacher slap their hand away? Or tell them, not in public, sweetie? Or ignore it? Or react with disgust or anger? Kids learn long before they get to, to uh, junior high uh, owl, as we call our whole lives, about gender identity by whether the adults in their lives refer to two genders always, or use a phrase such as any gender instead of both genders. When adults say, when you grow up and get married, they are conveying mores about relationships. Whether they keep their sanitary pads in the bathroom cabinet or hidden away in a drawer in their bedroom conveys how the adults feel about their own monthly cycle and how their child should feel. And as I said, it can even show up in how we treat the non-humans in their life. Do you pay attention to what beings who have opinions are telling you? And are you respecting um, their desire to be touched or not touched? A child who is taught implicitly that some parts of their body are disgusting or even wicked is affected not only in their eventual attitudes towards sex, but in far broader and deeper ways. What is safe? What leads to rejection or acceptance? What keeps them in the community, in the families that are important to them? How they feel about themselves, their emotions, their body, their simple wishes. I'm thinking of that scene in the movie Brokeback Mountain when the young Ennis is told about a lynching of a, of a gay man. Nobody needed to tell him, you better not be gay. All they needed to say is, this, what ha this is what happens. Researchers have asked adolescents from whom they would like to learn uh, sex education, school, parents, a community organization. I didn't see uh, your religious community on that list. And there's an awful lot of religious communities that I would not want to have in charge of that. God knows they already commit, convey a lot of mores that are very, very uh, hazardous, literally hazardous to kids' health. But when we look at sexual development, we have to look not just at information, but at socialization. And it's obvious that the home is the dominant source of these messages, but another place where we get our shoulds our sense of the communal norms, of behavior, what we can talk about, what is ethically good, bad, or neutral, is our religious, our spiritual community. The television show, Sex Education, is currently between its third and fourth seasons it is about a pair of high school students, British high school students, who begin a sex advice clinic in an abandoned restroom on their school campus. Maeve is parentless and therefore perpetually broke and needs the money to keep her gas on. Otis has a mother who's a sex therapist and he seems to have a real knack himself for giving wise counsel and listening to people when they're having trouble. So Maeve and Otis team up. Their classmates have many, many needs from worrying about 
the size or appearance of their endowments, to wondering if they are normal for having no sexual desire, to being unable to communicate their emotional needs to their partners. Otis and Maeve help and get into all sorts of tangles. The show is explicit. It's rated TV mature, which is the equivalent of more, more or less R in the movies. Fans of the, six, the show Six Feet Under from 20, 25 years back, um, which was about a family-owned funeral home, will remember that every episode began with a death, that then the family was dealing, dealing with the outcome of that death. Well, I think sex ed's creations, creators seem to have taken a page from that book because in almost every episode, we see sexual activity before the title. Certain body parts can't be shown per TV standards, but there is almost no term that goes unspoken, almost no act that isn't alluded to or shown just off screen. So I was surprised by the word that popped into my head somewhere in the middle of my binge of this show. Wholesome. I thought, this is a hard show to see with your mother. And because I recommended it to her, we did end up watching it together. But it's wholesome because the values are so, so good. Homosexuality, just fine. Asexuality, sure. Non-binary genders are here. Non-consensual contact is treated as a serious problem, even when the victim of it wants to dismiss it. It says, that wasn't anything. Yeah, it was. And the program develop, de, 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 uh, devotes an entire arc to how that plays out. What comes through in the ordinariness of this these interactions, the way desire is treated as a part of life, the way, the way people of different races and cultures have to deal with how their, their families deal with their interracial and intercultural relationships, the way sex shows up in your life when the hormones hit and you're almost an adult. What comes through is that there are absolutely deep, ethical, spiritual values connected to sex. And those are, sex absolutely must be based on consent. Everybody involved must agree actively to what they're doing. And they can withdraw that consent at any time. Those involved should treat one another with respect. That means being responsible about the possible results, whether you might get sick or you might create a new baby, or you might hurt somebody's feelings. And it should be enjoyable for everybody concerned. Everything else, like whether or with whom or how you have relations, that is not an ethical issue. And I think that's really wholesome. Those are some wholesome rules and lack of rules. And the next thought that came to me was, right, that's what we teach in OWL. 
There's that word again. Our whole lives. Whole. Wholesome. What makes us whole? I hesitated just a moment when I found those centering words before I passed them on, recommended them to Stephen, but we agree that they were great. That sense of being a friend to your body. I hesitated only because of that duality, that sense that our body is something other than us. That there's a body, there's a mind, there's feelings, there's a spirit. Of course it's all one. It was so meaningful that I decided we should stick with it anyway. But how lovely to assert that we are whole when all of who we are is treated as a blessing as precious, that we're told that our loving is a miracle and that our bodies, our spirits, our our emotions, our minds, our wholeness, our wholeness is a miracle. That's why we do, not just sexuality education, but Sexual socialization, the passing on of our values, and the listening to young people, especially about as they develop their values. Why we do it right here in this main hall, in our church, for all ages, for our whole lives. I want to say one more thing about that show, just by way of a teaser, in television style. We've talked, as I mentioned last week, about uh, stickers we might wear to start conversations um, after the service. And one thing that happened to me as I was watching this show, which as I said, I binged and I'm now eagerly awaiting season four, it brought me face to face with my own internalized taboo a rule I had in my head that I didn't even know I had. And I thought, that could be the start of good conversations after the service. What was a message that you received about sex that you've realized since? Oh, that message has been traveling with me in my head, in my body, in my feelings. As comfortable, of course, we may share that. Maybe it'll bring us a little closer to wholeness.